Yeah, I'm gonna put my love in a little bit. Man, y'all know the face, y'all know the name, y'all tuned into the world's greatest podcast. No, I don't just say it because it sounds lit on the shirt. No, I don't just say it because it's an immaculate intro. I'm saying it because I believe it's the world's realest and the world's greatest podcast. Talk ain't cheap. Hosted by yours truly, Mr. It's a Movie Cleatus Real Talk. And I got a special guest with me. As y'all know, even in the new going into the new year, y'all know I still haven't changed up at all. We still keeping it consistent. I got a guest with me, and I don't introduce my guest, so guest, please introduce yourself. <clears throat> To God be the glory, my name is Schwarzenegger, Young Priscilla. And before I even get started, I just want to say thank you for having me come having me come on. I'm a five-year professional athlete, a college graduate, a two-time author, award-winning author. I say those things all in humility to know that without God in his favor, I wouldn't be where I am today. And so before I even let you continue, I just want to share a word as a spoken word artist, as a way to worship our Lord and Savior. Jesus, this piece is called To Feel Without Fear. And as men, sometimes we don't learn how to feel our emotions. We don't allow our emotions to flow through us. And during my book writing process, I had to learn how to feel all over again. It goes, most of us understand that the world leaves no room for weakness. When we vent we're called complainers. When we're tired, we're being lazy. When we're discouraged, we're called depressed. When we fight, we're called rebels. When we hesitate, we're double-minded. And when we cry, I'm in just one tear. These preconceived judgments leave people like you and I, black men, black women, and people all across the globe, how to feel without fear. You see, we're conditioned to swallow our pain instead of our pride, expressing little reference to the pain that truly resides inside. See, we stress when we don't know where to start. But look at the words of Jesus, for he says murder begins in the heart, for he has freed us from bitterness, unforgiveness, jealousy, hatred, and anger. For we can feel the love of Christ through the hug of a stranger. I have learned how to feel without fear. See, brothers and sisters, it's okay to show meekness. For scripture says God's strength was per made perfect in mankind's weakness. You see, when I wrote my first book, when I wrote my first book, I went to closets, emotional closets that I swore to never open. Doors I mentally locked away just to hear my heavenly father say, son, you are chosen. I have learned how to feel without fear. You see, the moment I let go of myself, Christ healed me from all past mistakes. Be not misled. My book is called Be Your Own Hero, but not all of them wear capes. Yes. Like those who willingly gave their lives on the day of ground zero. You see, God's love is the fighting spirit needed to be your own hero. See, for Schwartzen, I, I only wanted freedom. Freedom from my emotional incarceration. And during my book writing process, I discover man's true transformation. See, my name is Schwarzenegger Young Priscilla. I found my birth mom at 25 years old and wrote my first book all in one year. It was nothing but the Lord's favor for me to feel without fear. Thank you. Immaculate, man. I, I love that. That's what's up. I'm, I'm happy that we're doing this, and I'm happy that we have the opportunity to just get going with this podcast. So... How are you doing, bro? Uh, we are in, this is, I, I like to date these sometimes, December uh, 20, let me make sure I, I'm not messing up the dates here, 23rd, 2021. We about to go into 2022, and 
we 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 heard Omicron. Omicron is oh, in the man, building. Man, the Omarion virus man. is in the building. Yeah, my, my, my mom calls it Omegatron or something Omega like that. Omegatron virus. She said it's an alien, man. <laughs> we believe the aliens, man. They don't come, man. And we've been in, and this is about to be our second going on third year of COVID. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, yeah. It is, yeah, our second going on third. So Very unfortunate, yeah. Last time we spoke, uh, we, we spoke about just life during COVID. Mm-hmm. What has life been since then? Man, I mean, the ups and downs, I mean, I mean, everybody kind of, we all got sucked into the media real fast. We saw, what we were all inside, trapped, you know, some of us responded in ways that we all felt like children. We felt lost and a little hopeless. There was a, it was a spirit of hopelessness throughout the land, not just in America, but all across the globe. I mean, people were scared. We have never, we've never had a global shutdown before. We were, we were finally understanding that, yo, there's something bigger than us that might be in control. And we have to look to something that's even bigger than the thing that's trying to control us. This virus may be as fearful as it is and tries to penetrate the hearts of those who may be scared, but we serve a God that's much bigger and much greater. He is the God, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And his name is Jesus. And we have to put our trust in him. And that's the only way I got out of it because I was scared dang near to death. You know, I, I, made, I made a lot of spoken word pieces during the, during the process as an activist out there in the front lines of Buffalo, of Staten Island. And I saw the, the tears and, and, the, and the scared of not just myself, but of my brothers and sisters who were out there getting, getting, getting tear gassed, you know, getting, getting oppressed. And it wasn't just that, it was all of us. It was our fight, it was across the globe. You've seen what happened, how the country responded from George Floyd, from the Black Lives Matter, from all of that. But we got to ask our, our question, what does God feel? What does God see? Is he still in control? And I had to ask those questions. And that's why I, it had to lead me to my second book called Cursed by Sin, Cured by Him, The Exposure of a Prodigal's Heart. Wow, that's deep. Okay, so let's 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 talk let's talk George Floyd leading up to the uh, the COVID, right? Where were you when all of that stuff had happened, and what feelings were you feeling during that period? I was up in Buffalo, New York, at that time. Um, man, I, I I felt personally victimized again. I mean, it wasn't the first time, but it was the first time that kind of we was all stuck inside. I mean, we we seen we seen the Freddie Gray. We seen the Mike Brown. We seen, I mean, Tamir Rice. We seen the Eric Gardner right here in our home city, Staten Island. We seen the every every. We seen the Sean Bell's. We seen the Amadou, Amadou Diallo. Different name, same face. And that's what. And I mean, we know that's still going on. And so I was up in Buffalo. What my response? I'll give my personal response. Um, I was at the boys. I was director of the Boys and Girls Club, and I had to ensure that the safety of my kids come first. The safety of my team comes first, and I thank God for the Boys and Girls Club. Shout out to them up in Buffalo because they understood that there was a certain mental health aspect that had happened to the black people in the in the in, in the country. And I, I, I honestly, I, I went to Wakanda. I went to a uh, Black Panther, and I let them know like. You guys are cared for every moment as much as I could. Developed curriculums from Hero Leadership Group. As I'm the founder, I made sure I, I stayed my part. But at the same time, my mental health also took a toll. And I did some things that might have disrupted my integrity in a lot of ways by not obeying to the, to the higher ups when they said, hey, this is dangerous out here. You shouldn't be doing what you need to do. You still got to abide by the rules. And sometimes my, my rebellious spirit kind of kicked in and I had to humble myself. And God humbled me in a lot of ways. So... So speak a little bit more to your mental health. You said that you were just going through a lot and you had a rebellious spirit. Where did that come from? And was it heightened due to COVID-19 and being isolated in quarantine? Yeah. Yeah. The, um, Just 
the mental health, I mean, we all kind of coping out different ways. I mean, I'm a five-year pro, former athlete, played in high school, played in college. So basketball was me. That was the dance. That was the thing I used to cope. And at the time, I wasn't I wasn't playing basketball. I was just doing on tour. I was I was an author. And I've reverted back to basketball since they, they cut my tour short because of the COVID. And I was like, yo, what do I do now, father? Like, you know, I didn't think this was supposed to happen. And I, and I ended up getting in my feelings. And I got in, you know, I made some decisions that, you know, I'm not so proud of when it comes to, you know, relationships and things like that. But, you know, we all go through that. But my rebellious spirit just comes from the fact that I, sometimes I, my pride, I'm like, I, I think I'm in control. You know, I've, I've always controlled my own destiny. I've always, you know, I got myself out of, the, out of the neighborhoods. I got myself to college. I got myself overseas. No one helped me in that connection. But again, at the same time. I have to be anchored in the Lord because, again, he's the one in control because you ain't in control when the country when the country sits down. You ain't in control when you see what's on that TV. You're really not in control. And I had to learn that the hard way, which is, again, I'm a hard-headed kid, grew up in the Bronx here in Staten Island as well. And I had to learn that the hard way. And God humbled me. I feel that. And I'm glad. How did you cope with your mental health? Writing. Writing? Writing. Spoken word, writing, and hooping. Love it, love it. Okay, so at this point now, you are going through the year. You are finding yourself. You're writing. Where did Cursed by Sin, Cured by Him come from? Like, what made you want to write this book? Like, how did it come about? Yeah, just the origin of it was simply fact. I was like, why do why do good? I mean, I think it's the question we all have as a as a people, as human beings, as a human race. Why do Good things happen to bad people. Why do bad things happen to good people? I had to ask that. I was abandoned at the age of one years old. So for me growing up, I didn't believe I was acceptable in love and care. And here in Staten Island, it could be very, very tough. Um, I, I mean, fortunately, we, we, you know, we were pretty close growing up, the people who were, we had around it. But eventually, we also went our own separate ways. And when the division happened, it was kind of like we were all re-triggered in a lot of our own ways. And once we're all triggered, we, we kind of revert back to where we where we feel timid, where some of us feel scared or as black men, most of us just have anger and we have a lot of pride just built up and it was just waiting, to, waiting to come out. And it came out in different ways. And the way it came out for me, again, it was it was a rebellion against the, the authority when they said, do not let anyone in the gym. I let people in the gym because I was like it was it was looting up upstate Buffalo it was looting. It was going to tear gases. It was going on. I mean, y'all could check that out on my YouTube page. Um, it was called I Can't Breathe. where I, I videotaped the entire thing and I was showing that we've heard the I Can't Breathe chant before through George, through uh, Eric Gardner. And to hear that again, I really felt like I could not breathe. Forget the virus. The virus in this country is racism. That's that's our sin that we need to move past on. And I had to figure out that if that's the underlying sin, I had to ask God, what is the sin of this nation? The sin of this country right here in America is racism. I'm ready to move forward. We're ready to move forward. As a people, I believe we're ready to move forward. Whites, blacks, Asian, I believe we're all ready to move forward. But someone has to be that catalyst to say, are we ready to move forward? I believe that we are. I wholeheartedly believe that now is the time for us to move forward as a people, as a, as a human race, not as individual people groups. As a human race, America is ready to move forward once and for all from the slavery that has been oppressed in this, in this land. That's that's a really deep topic. Um, we could touch the topic if you want, because um, there's a lot of people that might feel that in order to do a, a order for people to move forward as a human race, there needs to be some kind of reparations. 
So how do you, where do you think the reparations is going to come from and, and what is your take on reparations? Yeah, me and moms go back and forth about this, man. We, we do. She's the one that, where my 40 acres in the mule? You know, she old school. You know, she's 63 years old. Of course, you know, she's, I've talked to her many, many times about when it comes to what can they do? What can we possibly, can they repair 400 years of oppression? And then another 150 years of post-oppression and then systemic slavery? Can they... Can they really repair that? And then this is my personal conviction of when I ask God, can nothing really, can nothing men make amends to that? You you you, you destroyed families, generations. I mean, I look at Barnes and Nobles right now. They took us out the history books, man. They oh, most definitely. People don't even know who Dr. King is. If they don't know who Dr. King. If schools don't know who Dr. King is, they dang shit not gonna know who Rosa Parks is. Yeah, they're having a whole conversation about critical race theory and whether or not it should yep. be taught in schools. Yeah. Because basically, it points the finger at you know the conditions of race and yep. and how it played uh, a role in society as we know it and a lot of people feel like well it's just you know blaming white people for everything but it's like well yeah yeah you you can't look at america and, can, and you can't say race class and gender and all these different things are mutually exclusive from each other without including race correct exact and you can't separate the, and the things we try to as a as a, i mean we see the consciousness of the government mm-hmm. the consciousness of a government i mean we've seen what happened in january when the when the, when the you know the the whole storming, storming yeah, of the storming of the Capitol, right. Man, them and, folks went, and, really went crazy. And he, yeah, and what did they do? They, I mean, I don't know if you've been watching the news, but they recently, you know, they pinned it on a black man. They pinned it on one, the one black guy that went up, they pinned it all on him. So what can they do to possibly repair it? They can't do anything. They, It's not enough money to repair brokenness of generations of curse that they've caused upon us. But my underlying factor has to be on the gospel, on the good news, is that there's no way we can forgive them for what they've done. But the only chance we have is to accept and receive the forgiveness that Christ has done for our sins, for all people's sins. And that's where I have to stand on on my conviction, because, again, what sometimes as black people we are put in positions where we're even asked to choose which side, which side. I'm on the side of the gospel, of the good news of Christ. He came for all people. There's a story in John chapter four where he repairs reconciles slavery where he reconciles excuse me not slavery where he reconciles racism where the division of the Jews and the Samaritans were right there and he used a woman who didn't have a name a woman at the well John chapter 4 he uses her to be the first evangelist why why her specifically well I'll let you guys read that but she had a certain background where she felt ostracized she felt neglected she was at the she was at the well at a time where nobody wanted her and Christ used that woman to do the greatest reconciling movement, which was the Samaritans and the Jews coming together, where Christ is now telling the Samaritans, which is the, really the hood, it was the black people at the time, the Samaritans, that it doesn't matter where you worship, God is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth, and the truth is in your heart. See, we can't, see, we can't judge people based on actions because only Christ truly knows the heart. Okay, fair enough. Um, so let's talk about this book, Cursed by Sin, Cured by Him. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made you want to write it and uh, where did the, this idea spark from? Yeah, I mean, so this, the subtitle of it is called The Exposure of a Prodigal's Heart. Um, prodigal is the definition of a prodigal is uh, someone who lives lavishly, someone who's out there kind of living the life that he wants to live, that they want to live. Um, and, I, and I had a certain coping mechanism for my mental health through success as well. 
as a five-year pro coming out of Staten Island, that's very, <clears throat> that's very rare. And so I used my success to also cope with my mental health. I used my success, the fact that I was somebody or trying to be somebody um, in order to, to f- cope with the pain that resides inside. And I think that's America as well. That's another sin that America deals. That's another thing that it, the world deals with. If we live so lavishly, but two-thirds of the world live on less than $2 a day. That is straight disrespectful. That's that's a privilege that we have that we don't even know. So the story came out of Luke chapter 15 when it talks about these two sons, one who, who used his father's inheritance and used it and squandered it, and then the other son who stayed home and wasn't unappreciative of what the father's presence gave to him. And so it talks about, really, it's the story between the Jews, everybody who isn't God's chosen original chosen people, and the Gentiles, anybody who isn't a Jew. So between those two sons, he captures the whole world in that very story to say, hey, even if you weren't original chosen, I still love you enough to allow you to return for me. And even if you were originally chosen, meaning you didn't leave the house and you didn't leave my presence, I still love you enough to acknowledge the fact that you do belong to me. Okay, straight enough. So in this book, you tackle a lot of different topics and you use basically scripture to support where where those topics are. I guess you would say where where it can lead to, and and where, and basically defining in the Bible what these topics really mean, how they can be impactful to you in different life lessons. So let's talk about um the first part when when you say what is sin, what did you where did you come from when you decided to determine to start it off there? Yeah, growing up in the church, they never really defined sin for me. I I didn't know what sin I had. You know, I think I we I think for morality. Just to put it on a fifth grade level, we think of morality as good and bad, right and wrong, right? The way the Bible defines it is that all is wrong. You're born into sin. Why? Because of we all have this. So the Bible is also a historic, a historic read for us through the sins of our forefathers and mothers, Adam and Eve. They brought sin into the world by disobeying God. So what is sin is simply the act of disobeying God. Simply the act of, of <clears throat> excuse me, simply the act of disobedience. It's sin, really, in, in a certain context, it means without. It's without right relationship with God. And so anytime we walk in, outside of that right relationship with God, which is all the time, we can't do it without Christ, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we are now in wrong relationship with the Lord. And the whole very aspect of why, because I thought I was a bad person. I thought I was a good person at the time. Different areas of my life, again, I'm 27 years old. I'm like, what is good? What is bad? Why am I letting the world define that for me? Why am I letting a pastor define that for me? Why am I letting anybody define it for me? Since God is good, I can learn that in the Bible for myself and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal that. And that's where he revealed to me when it comes to why the sin thing. Well, we've seen it from, everybody knows the story of Adam and Eve. If you don't, check out Cain and Abel. That generational sin now causes one brother to kill another. Cain kills Abel. The way I remember it is that Cain wasn't Abel. And so he kills his brother. They offer both offer a sacrifice to the Lord. One is accepted because he doesn't give the Lord his best. God wants the best because he is the best and he is supreme ruler. He's the author and giver of our life. And so to learn that generational sin can be passed down. I mean, we deal with it today. Certain people want to move on from racism. Some people don't. But again, it's the generational curse is, is no one's particular fault except for the fact that we live in a broken world. Understood. Okay, so from there you go into chapter two, calling revenge. 
why did you lead to revenge and what about revenge uh has impacted your life that you felt that it was important enough to really jot down in this book yeah that's a good that's um <clears throat> i went viral back in 20 2019 for this term i coined called killmonger face now if you're not familiar anybody who's, who's not familiar with with black panther they're the the antagonist is called Killmonger, the guy who comes back and finds his family living very lavishly. The reason why that story kind of took its heart on me was because I was so upset when I find my family and I learned out that these were people who are of major importance of success. I got a brother who lives in Oakland doing very successful. I got a sister who's the major singer of Haiti doing very successful. I got a brother who lives in Long Island who's doing very successful, wife and kids and everything. I got a sister who's amazing. I got so much family in my talent, talented family. Now here I am. I'm sleeping. I'm homeless for six months, and I'm looking for them. I'm looking. Everybody's living their life, and I was so upset with the fact of why is it that I had to come look for y'all. I'm my mom's youngest child. I'm young. That's the reason why she called me young Priscilla. I'm my youngest. Young, so to have all of that harbor and then my foster family, it was just, it was a lot going on all at once. And I want to kill people. Let's be real. I was like, that's me. When I saw Killmonger, this is your, this is your king. This is who you, this is who it is that y'all worship. I wanted to take the throne. I wanted to feel like, yo, that impacted me so much. And I feel like my heart was so filled with rage that I was so pained. But I, I, again, Christ and Christ alone is the reason why I turned that, excuse me, he turned that into purpose. And the whole purpose was to let others know we cannot live there. And this particular story in the book, I don't tell that story. In the book, in the book, I use that as a way to to formulate this, this again, revenge when it comes to racism, when it comes to, when it comes to getting even, making amends, making the right thing, because I now get payback for what it is that you did or did not provide and really the whole narrative of that is false it's a false narrative that we create for ourselves because we have hate in our heart and that hate cannot live there without without the power of love retracting that hate so how did you uh reconcile these feelings i mean they're still there if i want to be honest but again i have to submit them onto the lord isn't, again, 25 years old, and I was, feel like I was homeless, and I felt like I was cheated. I mean, isn't that America? We feel like we was cheated. We were brought here by force. Isn't that blacks in America? We were brought here by force. We didn't choose to be here. We didn't choose the systems. They take us out of, they take us out of our homeland. They they take our history. They take. We have all the rights. But time and time again, there's no other answer besides the fact that no one is righteous, no, not one. So even even if we think we're good. We're not because Christ says for the wages of sin is death. I mean, we deserve death. I mean, I have to keep things in perspective when it comes to having my emotions. Yes, but submitting them onto the Lord. There is such thing as a holy anger. There is such thing as a holy pride. And I believe right now the the the, the cry of our land, of our people, of our ancestors are crying out in the land because, well, no one's speaking up for their voices. There is a voice that Christ gives us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't use that voice to now try to rep try try to reprimand white people for what they did or any people any people all across the world because at one point everybody was oppressed and it's the voice of oppressive people that makes god allow him to 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 speak the way he does through his people so that we can be free i feel that completely so in the in the next chapter of the book you you speak about repentance right and you you uh you you kind of allude to the story of the criminal at the cross and 
why did you decide to use that that story to try to understand repentance? Yeah, that's a that's that's a great question. Um, and I put it intentionally for chapter three through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only story I use that matches up with this book, "Be Your Own Hero," my first book. I again, I grew up a career criminal. I grew up in the streets. Um, you know, ran away from home at an early age. Did, lived rebelliously, joined gangs, carried knives, robbed teachers. I mean, fought, did the whole nine. I knew I deserved prison. I knew by my actions. And at one point, when my foster father came and got me, when after I ran away from home and I was faced at over at Bailey Seaton with the juvenile detention hall, and the officer, the judge now gives him the option. He says, you can either take this young boy, Schwarzenegger, and take him home, give him a year's probation, and slap him on the wrist and say, hey, that's your problem now? Or you can get allow this boy to go into the juvenile detention center right here because of what his rap sheet says. And this man, Mr. Jarman, rest in peace his soul, chose to allow me to go free and go home. And that was the best decision I knew that God made for me because after that, I got my life together through the game of basketball and allowed me to see that grace does extend for those who do not deserve it. Now, that extreme case in the in the book that I put when it comes to Barabbas, my man was a leader of an insurrebel, meaning he was trying to overthrow the government. He was a murderer, and he was the exact person who deserved the cross. And Christ says, no, take him down, choose me instead. And that right there is the version of justice that we don't comprehend because in the courtroom of the heaven, that's what mercy and justice looks like. It's a slight difference between justice and mercy. See, justice, excuse me, grace and, ju grace and mercy. Grace is receiving something that you do not deserve. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve. So my, my question is, how do you extend grace? Because... One of the things I may I, I struggle with is, you know, they always say give yourself grace, give yourself grace, but we've never been given grace. Like, you know, institutionally, academically, in a lot of spaces, grace is not, it's just a word they throw around to try to make it seem like, hey, take it easy on yourself. When in reality, grace is a, it's just a, a, a figment of our imagination in certain spaces. So for me, my question is, how have you extended grace for yourself? And what is the gospel of grace in, in relation to your book? <clears throat> it's not possible to give something you don't have. Mm -hmm. It's not possible to give something you don't have. Every every shorty I've been with, every per, every heartbreak I've I've done, every every everybody I've caught when it comes to my sexual morality, there's no remorse there for me. As a man, I, I don't, I'm not afraid to admit that. I can't give something I don't have. Now, I have grace now because grace is extended to me. I'm not out here going on an apology tour to tell women I'm sorry for what I did to them. No. God's grace extends to that. I was ignorant. We are ignorant in a lot of ways. The way you give grace, how do we give ourselves grace? You receive it. You can do nothing. It's a, literally a gift. This is, how, this is Christmas time, right? You can do nothing with a gift. If, if, if it's in a box, you don't know what's in that box. You got to open up that box. And Christ is saying, I'm the box. Open me. This is who I am. This is what this book is about. It's about putting it in a language where we can now understand that grace is sufficient see his power does work best and weakness that's the only reason why i'm here today because grace is the gift that you can only give to others when you receive it from god but you got to receive him first in order to give it if you haven't received christ it's not possible to give grace to others understandable 
Sounds good. So the sower, you you why I you know I like I like the story of the sower and the reaper because it's like you know you must toil by uh, or by the fruits of your labor. You know that whole concept. So what was the time of your life that you became the sower? And you broke down in your book the footprint, the footpath, and the birds, rocky soil and so and thorny soil. Yeah. So why, why, why that? Why did that? Why that analogy? Did you feel the need to actually include it in your book? Yeah, that's that's actually one of my favorite parables. So Christ talks in these parables, and to to break down simple, I mean, kingdom principles to break it down into simple everyday language. See. We're not the sowers. Christ is the sower. God is the sower. There's only one farmer. His name is God. How he uses us in the good news and how he spreads the gospel, it's not us doing it. It's him doing it because God doesn't let anyone give credit. So, again, this is how I saw it when it came to my life. The footpath, so everyone has a seed, right? The seed is the good news. If you're listening here, you receive, you're listening to the good news. Now, you've heard it before. You've probably heard of it. Oh, I've heard about God. I've heard about Christ. What's new about it? Difference now is that understanding what the parable of the sower meant in Luke chapter 8 is that there's an enemy who's out to take that seed away from you. Every time you go back to your old ways after you've heard the good news, that's the enemy taking it back from you. That's where... You don't, you, you don't even know what the enemy looks like because he's not a pitchfork and, a, and with horny thorns. That's not what the enemy is. That's not who the enemy is. That's not who Christ conquered. That devil, that, that whatever they painted in that, that's not him. Read that book and I'll let you know. <clears throat> but anyways, the second part was the, was the thorns, right? These are the pressures of life. As men and as black men and as black men and as black, excuse me, as black women, we have certain pressures of life that a, a lot of our white brothers and sisters don't deal with stereotyping, microaggressions, etc. Those pressures can sometimes choke the good news and make us think that God is not good. When they, some evangelical Christians might be a representation of why God might not be good. But that doesn't take away the fact that those thorns and thistles are just come with life. It says it in the gospel. And then the last part would be, would be the, the seeds that didn't grow deeply because we're not rooted in good doctrine. We're not rooted in the right sound teaching. A lot of us have been growing up in prosperity gospel, whitewashed Christianity, universalism. We are gods. I understand that. I've, I've seen that. I've studied that. But to know that the good news is all you need, the, the gospel of grace in, through Jesus Christ is truly the only gospel that he tells us to preach. So I'm, I'm going to divert from the question I had. When was the first time you encountered God, and what was that encounter like? I was 18 years old, and I was I was smoking and drinking at college because I felt lost after losing my starting position as a college athlete, 18 years old. Um, I had asked God if he's real, um, if he can show me himself because um, I was going to take my life at that moment 1,200 miles away from school. Uh, I didn't think no one loved me, no one cared. It was, you know, freshman freshman year. I was smoking and drinking, lost myself, and I asked God to to f- fill my heart with His love. Or I didn't, I, I didn't even ask Him to do that. I just said, "Show me if you're real," because the pain I feel inside is can no longer be coped with with smoking and drinking. And at the very moment, I felt His His Holy Spirit flood my heart, flood my heart in ways that I I got scared. I started shaking. I I went to sleep in my bed. I'm trying to say, "Oh, like I'm." 
I tried to, I didn't know if it was real or not. I, I can't explain it in human words because there was a, a moment where I just f- fell asleep and I kept felt, felt banging on my chest. Kept banging on my chest. I'm like, I'm I'm thinking they laced my weed or something. I'm thinking something something's gotta be going on. I said, don't let no one take my credit. This is the story that you tell. You tell them the truth, not a truth, not what they want you to say, but tell the truth. That you might not explain anything, but that was the power. And the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And that's when I knew God was real, 18 years old. Hmm. So at that point, when you've recognized and, and, and uh, reconciled your time with God, how did you then change and start to walk with God? Like, what is the process of walking with God and how has it been for you? It's literally a process. I mean, I'm 27. I don't know everything. I don't pretend like I know everything. I'm not a theologian. I like history. I like hooping, and I like I like what I like. I'm a simple I'm a simple guy. I just I just read the word and I ask Holy Spirit with it. And I I have a good community. Um, shout out to the to the brothers, you know, Christ disciples. I shout, you know, I definitely love and the fact that they appreciated the fact that everyone's been swindled at one point or another by some kind of prosperity gospel. Everybody's been everybody's been swindled by it. Cause who doesn't love money? Who doesn't want money? More money, money, you know. Cars and all that, and using God to justify that, it runs out. It runs out. But Christ says, I'm the well that never runs dry. See, that stuff is temporary, and eventually you'll hit the wall. Whether it's 60 years old, 70 years, eventually it runs out because that's not who we were created for. In the book of Ecclesiastes, a young man named Solomon, well, he was older at the time, talks about this one key aspect that we tend to miss because we don't really study the Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 he says I've placed eternity in the hearts of man for a purpose not for not for lavishly because it looks good he had trillions of dollars at the time 700 concubines 300 wives he had plenty of women he said it was all nothing all futile all for no reason except the one thing the one reason is for Christ that's who the void is filled by by Jesus Christ not by Allah not by Buddhist. I'm not, I'm not trying to, find, but this is the truth. The one truth is that because no religion is right, but Christ is right. Christ is right. No religion is right. Christ is right. And Christ, what the difference is, he requires relationship. That's where we tend to miss it because we, we suck at relationships as a society, as a people, we suck at it because we don't know what designed for it and who, to, who put the design for relationships in us in the first place. Hmm. So in your book, you get to a point when you talk about vulnerability, right? And you you mentioned the crucifix and being commissioned. Why did you decide at that point in your book to talk about the crucifix and being commissioned? It was an unsurrendered heart. I would say that. <sighs> to be used by God, I mean, he's saying you... To, to be a follower of Christ, he literally says you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Meaning you want to follow Christ. It's a call to suffer. It's a call to die to yourself every single day. Every day we have choices. When we wake up, we have a choice. You're either going to it starts with waking up. You can sleep in and ignore the alarm clock or you can go up and grind, get up and get it. You cannot brush your teeth or you can these small little decisions. Where, see, as a basketball player. I love this this quote where it talks about you're not born a winner, you're not born a loser. Everyone is born a chooser. You have a choice every day. 
these little philosophies every day point to the one thing that Christ already did for us. He made the choice for us. What now we can do is accept the choice that he made for us. I've lived the perfect life. No one's going to be perfect ever. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to come and live the perfect life. So let me live through you. Even though you're going to mess up, just know that. Give me the glory for what it is that you're choosing. Because you know, if I if you left it to up to yourself, you know what you will be doing. You know what that role is. You know that choice of choosing your flesh every time. Well, you can bag shorty. You can call your man over. You can call them every day and know that that stuff is not fulfilling. Why? Because we've already done it, bro. We've, we've already been there. I mean, this is, you don't got to be 60 years old to experience all of life. We're from Staten Island, bro. This is, this is what we've already experienced. We've experienced the end of the road. We're all looking for the truth, not a truth, not someone else's the truth. And there is only one truth. And that's what faith is. Faith is a reality of there was oneness in God. One God who operates in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit wants to work through us because of God the Son giving his sacrifice for our sins so that God the Father can be glorified in heaven. So for you, what do you think or what do you believe it means to be known and to and to be set apart to be known by God is to be known that to to know his son the aspect of vulnerability hurts for men women have already experienced that see this is what I talk about in my next book women have already experienced rape Men not defending themselves. Men not defending them. This is why we have the hot girl culture. The, the, we have the Megan Thee Stallions. They, they, they strong, but they wrong. Is what I call it. They, you real strong, but you're wrong. The aspect of men in leadership has been so distorted that they've said, I'm going to be leaders. And that's what, not what God intended. God said, I'm the head. Let, let men follow after Christ and let Christ be who men work in men so that that man can die for their bride. Christ died for us, the church, the global church for his bride. We are the bride. There's no marriage in heaven. So us playing, playing God down here is a false narrative. Us being strong, but wrong is the, is the false narrative we've painted across ourselves. When it comes to being fully surrendered, I have to understand that I can't, I can't go on dates. I can't compromise. I can't, and that hurts because I'm like I like I'm attracted to women. You know what I'm saying? I like I like I love, I love our queens, man. And I gotta say no every time. I get to, and it hurts because it's like now I, I'm I'm now like it, it, it's something I'm still de- dealing with to know that I have to be true to this, and that's the aspect of me dying to myself. Is, is young ladies who I, I I genuinely like, and I have to say Jesus, you come first. I get to say Jesus, you come first. It's still a it's a call to suffer. And that's vulnerable because now I have to tell that truth to someone and I have to risk being taken advantage of. And I have to trust God that they that person won't take advantage of me. Why? Because his grace is enough and his love is enough for someone not to take advantage of me because he is supreme ruler. And if you mess with his son, if you mess with his children, if you mess with his daughter. So are you saying that you cannot date? Or are you saying that you're choosing not to because of something that you know will detail derail you from 
the relationship that you have from God or the relationship that you're trying to pursue or the journey that you're trying to pursue through Christ. Yeah, I always recommend, brothers and sisters come to me all the time about this. And you again, this is what Schwartz and Priscilla believes when it comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 through 21. It says, run from sexual morality. You have, your body has been bought at a high price. So therefore, don't use it for sexual immorality. Don't use it for things outside of Christ because your body don't even belong to you. And, well, shorty, I'm, I'm like, if we're not even, like, what are we talking for if, if we're not being intimate? Like, I can't compromise. I've compromised before. For me, for Schwartz, again, somebody else might tell you different. And if you can handle that, that's cool. I'm an emotional person. I got emotions. And my, 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 my emotional highs can sometimes take get the best of me. And for me, I can't compromise. That's what I teach. That's how I teach it. And I use scripture to define that for me because I know I have a calling that's bigger than just the things that's going on right today. Now, God does say, be faithful in few and you should be trusted with much. When I'm out there in hotels, yes, there are ladies who out there try to try to get with me. When I'm out there on the road and I'm doing book tours, yes, there are people who want to compromise my integrity. And I have to be a man of character, a man of statute and say, no, that's not what I don't got to tell you nothing. But in my heart. I know I got to honor God. I get to honor God. And that's a better value than anything that anybody could offer me, money-wise, sex-wise, lavish-wise. There's nothing that you can offer me that will make me compromise that. And I'm still growing as it. So I don't say that with pride. I say that in humility to know that this is a growing process that I'm still learning. Understandable. And I mean, it's tough, bro. I, I always look at it like a lot of men and just a lot of young men. Like, sex has been the thing that has really destroyed the destinies of a lot of people mm -hmm. and it, it's it's very tough like mm -hmm. to be there's a lot of people addicted to it a lot of yeah. people who have traded so much for sex and for being physical and just being in a position so i understand mm -hmm. completely so you speak about faith mm -hmm. and and basically having a baby and childlike faith mm -hmm. what's the difference between having a baby faith and a childlike faith This is just, I love I love storytelling. If you if you ain't know, I love storytelling. There's a there's a part in the Gospel of Matthew where the two disciples, one two disciples, are arguing with each other about who's gonna be the greatest. Right? Who's gonna be the greatest? I'm the greatest in the kingdom. I'm gonna be the bad one. Christ says, "Who? What are you guys arguing about?" And of course, he he already knows. He said, "You want to be the greatest?" Now he Christ is in front of these men, grown men. He takes a child. He said, you want to be the greatest? You become like this child, the six-year-old child right here. And why is that? Why does he use it? I'm like, why do you use a child? What, what? I got to go backwards, Father? What are, you, what are you actually saying? He's saying there's a level of trust that a child has to their parent because they know the parent provides. That's the same trust that he wants us to have in the Heavenly Father. See, he's a good, good father. His scripture reminds us that if I, earthly parents, and we know how much they mess up, if our earthly parents are, say they good and they give good, how much more does the heavenly father know the details of our lives? Because not a single sparrow drops from the ground, not from, from, from the sky, without his knowing. He said, I know the details of your hair. Why does he put that in scripture? It's because he knows every detail of our lives before we even wake up, how many breaths we're going to take, and how who's really worshiping him in spirit and in truth. You want to be the greatest? You become a child. Now, the childlike faith, that aspect is how I define it. The baby faith, I mean, I got to shout out Michael Todd. He's the one that kind of coined that when it comes to baby faith. It's kind of like this, you don't know, I don't know, you teeter-tottering. I mean, I, I, I shout him out at the end because I really want to have a sit-down conversation with Pastor Todd when it comes to what faith is. 
Okay. And you said the needs and of, of humility. And you speak about needs and then you speak about humility. Why did you feel the need to include humility and in speaking about humility during the book and during the process of cur- cured by, cursed by sin, cured by him? Yeah. The need for humility is because we don't see that nowadays. We don't see. So humility is literally self-sacrifice. Christ is the Christ. The Christ is the epitome of, of meekness, of humility. We do not see that. We do not have that today. Instead, we, we take credit. We boast in our credit. I mean, look at look at the jobs when we offer. They want to see our resume. They can't just take our word. Christ didn't need a resume. He was the king of kings already. He was already in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with the wisdom that set the foundations of the world. But instead, when someone comes to him and say, good teacher, I got a question for you. He said, why do you call me good? I mean, this is mind blowing stuff. This is good stuff. Why do you call me good? Christ is good, but he even says, don't call me good. Only the Father is good. You see, but right before his crucifix, you see the last, the things of the gospel, I mean, the, the things of the gospel, the last, the four accounts of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 50% of each of those gospels is written in the last two weeks of Jesus Christ's life, his entire ministry, 50% of each of the gospels, because he wants to show the, the, the level of humility before Christ takes on the cross in the entire mission of why he even came in the first place. He goes to the garden of Gethsemane and talks to the father on behalf of who? Those who will believe, those who he has commissioned, and for the entire world, his children, his children. Jesus Christ prays on our behalf as his children. Those who have ears, let them hear. Those who know his voice will come. He said, my sheep, I will never lose one of them. And if you believe that you're a sheep, being stewarded by the good shepherd, not a hired hand, but the good shepherd, knowing his voice, then we will come to him in all humility to know that we're not in control, Father. You are the one that showed us humility, so we duplicate after you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what was the goal for this book? Like, what what was your intention for writing this book? And what did you what do you hope to come from, to come out of writing this book? The goal ultimately is is to... The last thing Christ says before he ascends up to heaven, he gives this thing called the commission. And yeah, this was written 2,000 plus years ago, but it still applies to us today. It's about giving context to where we are today. Just because it seemed like it was ancient history, 2,000 years ago was not that long ago. It seems like people don't know the Bible. And I understand. I read it for years and it just started clicking now when I finally, be st- I was finally still for this moment. Coming back home knowing I was sexually assaulted, abused as a kid, abandoned and neglected. I had all the questions that I had growing up as a kid. What is greater than a mother's love for her son? For her son? What is greater? And I had to learn that that was agape love, the agape love of Christ coming down from heaven and rescuing us from our sin. The goal is still the same. The mission has not changed. Though all these things might have, we might have technology, we might have gone through enlightenment period, there's one underlying factor within the entire Bible that says Jesus Christ and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His mission has never changed. That means his words has never changed, his actions has never changed. Everything that he has done through the cross hasn't changed. We have. We will grow up. We will die. We will have children. We will go through jobs. We will get degrees. Everything will change, but he won't change. And so what is the mission of this book? It's to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
and it just recently came on on iTunes. You can get it on iTunes. You can get it on Audible. It has reached the international market. When Christ says that, I believe he really meant that to take this good news that we no longer have to suffer, brothers and sisters, that we are free. He has set us free. The chains are broken. We can let go of revenge. We can let go of anger. We can let go of pride. We can let go of the sexual assault that happened to us when we were kids. We can let go of the of the bad parenting that happened to us. We can let go of that poor relationship that happened to us. We can let go of it all because Christ has paid the price for it. That's what he died for. That's what he paid. Everything else, you try to act like you're something you're not. He says, you're my child. And I love you no matter what has happened to you. And that's why I paid for your sins. I love it. I love it. I love it. So if anybody wants to get the books, where, where can they get the book? Yeah, you can get to that curedbyhim.com. That's my personal website. I will be doing a book tour as well. Um, I'm booked in pretty much up until May. Um, but, you know, you can still contact me. Also on Amazon, like I said, iTunes is on Audible. It's on Apple Music. Um, and it's also on um, you can just again contact me in my my hero leadership group.com as well. Um, you can email me and go go check it out. Definitely love the support. It is a ministry, so it is faith based. I do partner with with foster care agencies. I do a lot of ph philanthropy for the for the communities. Um, I am a speaker, a spoken word artist. Again, I do a lot. Again, and, and all proceeds that I have portions of it will be going to foster youth. There's only five hundred thousand foster youth in the country. I believe we can end foster youth. And put up the systems to educate. I'm, again, I'm, I have a lot of partnerships going on. So I would love for you to support this. I'm a local kid, homegrown here in New York City, born in Brooklyn, raised in Bronx. Grew up here, right here in Staten Island. So I would love to, to get your support. And I believe we can change as a people because we are all needing of Christ. And that's who, who sets the ground for all of us to move forward. And what's your Instagram if you want to follow you? Um, you can follow me at schwartzen.prisil. Schwartz and Dot Priscilla as well as as well as Facebook Schwartz and Priscilla would love again love your support would love to have more conversation about this as well I pray that this doesn't stop here again we're going into a new year I believe we're about to go into a, another renaissance in a way where art and literature is going to have a nice boom we we see the creatives we see we have the infrastructure we have it all and I believe God is about to do something even bigger when it comes to His people crying out from the blood that has was shed on this very land. And if you have someone who's listening, a young person who's trying to figure out their role or their position in, in Christ's King, what would you say would be the best way to kind of find God or find, you know, their position or their purpose in, in the word? Yeah. God is intentional. You have a purpose. Let me let me start by this. Before I before I came to this knowledge and revelation, before the Holy Spirit came to me. Romans 8 and 20, I started with my birthday. So I didn't know my, my birth mom. I didn't know anything about me. I started with being born on August 28th. That was kind of reversing from there. August 28th, Romans 8, 28, it says, For all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, who are called according to his good purpose. That means all things, good, bad, bad, ugly, purple, all things. We all know good things work out for the good, but the bad things as well. You might be in a position right now, young man or young woman, where you feel hopeless. You feel abandoned by God. I've been there. Christ has been there. More importantly, he is the great high priest. You can call upon his name. He will answer. He does answer. It might be a slight whisper. might be a slight faint. Usually it happens after heartbreaks. Usually he does something to get your attention and let you know I've always been there. Stop giving yourself to the world, young lady. Stop giving yourself to the, to the streets, young man. And it's okay. As a father, he is good. And all you got to do is call upon his name and he'll do the rest. All right. Well, if that's it, if that's it, man, um, 
like I said, I'm just happy to be here. I'm happy that you were able to make it. I'm happy that we were able to have this conversation. Um, I'm proud of you. If I don't tell you this enough, I'm proud of you just seeing your growth and how far you've come as a person and how far that you want to take, you know, God's God's glory and how, how far you're willing to take just this work and this word. Um, it's a blessing to see it. I'm happy to be a part of it. Um, with that being said, thank you so much for coming. And to God be the glory, man. I thank God for allowing your podcast to be this platform that I'm able to speak before before people think I'm Hollywood and think I'm too big for the for the for the for the you know, for the little people is what they say. People always say that. But again, I believe this podcast right here is gonna be a platform. If Cletus, my brother Cletus believes this is the greatest podcast, not in the world, in the universe. People are gonna hear this all over. Let that be known. He believes that God has given him that vision. Let that be known. Jump on this podcast. Let him know he has a story to tell. He he wants to bring the the the, the light to the world through the power of his podcast. And that's something God is going to be glorified. So don't limit yourself. If I did have a seed to plant, don't limit yourself. I once counted myself out to believe that I wasn't going to get married or have kids one day. And this young lady, shout out to Shadana, said, don't limit God. And it blew my mind because I said I said it and she said, don't limit God. Don't ignore the fact that he can still use your brokenness and make it into a master masterpiece from that mess to the masterpiece. The way I call it, he took my pain. He provided purpose. And in between, he showed me the process. And that's my story. I love it. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in to Talking Cheap Podcast. Like I said, this is the world's greatest podcast, and I appreciate my bro Swartin for really taking time out to be a part of this process and being part of this podcast. Um, if people want to follow you, like I said, one more time, where can they go? Yeah, definitely check out Instagram. Um, I also have a training page for my five-year um, for those who want to get basketball training. Again, an aspect of spreading the gospel. Um, that's pain to purpose training on Instagram. But my original Instagram, getting you want to book me to speak come out check you out i speak to education centers facilities colleges it's at schwartzen dot priscilla you can't miss it i mean my name is schwartzenegger i'm the only one in the world you know what i'm saying like people always ask me you know why'd you get named on they was asking me that you know when i was out there touring i said my, well my, when my mom had me um she came here to from from haiti to america and in brooklyn new york and she saw the commando <laughs> she saw commando Big Brocky Arnold Schwarzenegger on television, and she said, I'm going to name him after them because I ended up kicking in her womb. And believe it or not, the strength that my mom's prayers at that time did carry me through, and I believe that was from God, God himself. And so I thank God to, to tell her story, to tell that story, and I thank God for allowing me to meet my family and have an extended family here in Staten Island. Love it. Cursed by sin, cured by him. The prodigal, the exposure of a prodigal's heart out now. Definitely go cop that book. Go show him love. Go support. Like you said, a percentage of the proceeds will go to foster care and the foster system to, to improve it. So do your part. With that being said, thank you for tuning in to Talk Ain't Cheap Podcast. And y'all know the slogan is not that deep. It's a vibe.